And we're going to be talking about heaven today. Heaven. You'd like to know about heaven. Who'd like to know about heaven? I want to be able to explain a little bit more about heaven. But before I do, I, I was just conscious that God was speaking to me this morning when I was, um, when I was up praying before I, before I came. And uh, he gave me a bit of a, um, a word, I suppose, for you today uh, to start off with. And uh, I just want to speak to those people who have problems that are pressing on their lives that seem to have distracted them from what's going on in their walk with God. So it's like sometimes the situations around your life get so heavy, all you can see is the situation. You can't see anything else but the problem. The problem becomes the thing that is the focus of your life. And as a believer, that's the, that's the worst place you can get in life, is having a problem being the focus of your life. And, and Jesus wants to speak to you. I and mean, if you're not a believer today, what else? What else have you got? I mean, all you can do is see the problem and you've got to try and work out the solution to the problem. But if you're a believer, it's a little bit different. You've got the Lord of life who wants to be the focus of your life. And if you put your hand into his hand, he will give you a different focus and you'll see things differently from his perspective. You'll remember that his perspective is far greater and far larger than your perspective. He can see far further than you can see. He understands what's going on in your life. You can't see around the corner, but he can see around the corner and the, the corner and the corner and he can see down the next road. He knows exactly from the beginning from the end. He knows when you, were, when you were born and he knows when you will die. He knows exactly everything about your life. He knows it all in a moment. And if you put your hand in his hand and keep your focus on him, he will take you through the situations you're going through. And he says to you today, Take your eyes off the problem. The problem will not go away if you keep on looking at it. Get your eyes upon me, he says to you, because if you put your eyes on me, you will see where I'm taking you. If you keep looking at the problem, you'll be buried by it. So Jesus says, look to me. Look to me and I'll give you hope and I'll give you a future. And I'll work it out for you. I've got it all in control. Amen? So I want to talk to you about heaven. Jesus said uh, about heaven and talked to us about heaven. And I read in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by um, Solomon. And he writes this word. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also he has put eternity in our hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. There's a spiritual awareness in our lives with regard to time and eternity. And we get this idea in us that there's something else out there apart from where we're going, you know? I mean, when, before we were believers, we would look into the, the, the sky and we'd see that the sky would go on and on and on. And the whole idea of infinity or endlessness would just swamp us and we would it would be just too big for our minds and we would think, you know, it's got to be something else, something else out there in life. And, uh, you know, before we, we, before we met Jesus, it was the puzzle of our lives. What's it all about? What's it all about? We have the sense in ourselves that we are somehow greater than the sum total of our physical body, that there's something within us looking outside of us that's immortal. Somehow it goes on and we can't... We, 
we walk through life. I mean, I do some walking in the morning, and sometimes and I listen to stuff when I'm walking in the morning. And, and in between the, uh, the, the tracks I'm listening to, I can hear the, the striding of my feet, you know. So I'm striding away there, and the music's giving me a buzz, and I'm feeling really good, I'm energetic, and then the music stops, and I can hear the striding of my feet as I'm walking. And then the, the next bit starts, it might be some scripture reading or something starts in my head, and, I, and I'm, I'm off on the zone again. But it's the gaps between the events that we usually get to see that there's something else. You know, we, we, ha- we have this party time in life, and it's all going well, and then there's a, there's a pause somewhere. There's a gap somewhere, and we, and we get the sense of our own mortality. And inside of us, we get this feeling that there's more to life than just this. There's something else out there. There's something else, and that's eternity in our hearts. God put it there because he, he wants us to be like a, a pigeon. You know, you take a pigeon and you take it away from its home and you can take it miles and miles away. You can put it on a boat and you can, you can take it all the way to New Zealand and you open that box and that pigeon will fly into the air and it's got this homing sense inside. It will flap its wings, get up as high as it can and off it will go. And will stop, not stop flying until it comes back and lands in its own house. You get the golden plover does the same thing. It's a, it's a bird that flies to, a, to 1,500 miles to a place where it lays its eggs. It lays its eggs, it hatches the eggs. Then the parents fly away and leave the little ones scratching around. The little ones, when they grow their wings, get up and they know instinctively to fly to where their parents have gone even though the parents have never taken them there. You say, how is this? It's eternity in our hearts. It's the same thing. We've got God here in our hearts. We've got the sense of eternity and something inside us is drawing us to something far greater than the here and the now. And this yearning for what is out there, what is it all about, is what we want to address today. We want to talk about heaven. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4.14, it says, Seeing then we have a, the great high priest uh, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now when Jesus rose from the dead and he, he, he called his disciples and they were there at the mountain and he was giving them the last sort of instructions, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he, he, he started to be taken up into glory. The Bible says he passed through the heavens. So there's more than one heaven. The Bible tells us there are three heavens. But Jesus passed through the heavens to get to his Father, to be in heaven with his Father. And, and we want to have a look at the heavens that are talked about in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to three, 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we get this idea then that the, the globe, the world as we knew it, at the beginning of creation was just a mass of water. And the Spirit of God hovered over the mass of water. That's the, the first impression we get of creation. That there's this ball of water, that's all there was. And then we read in Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, it says, And then God said, Let there be a firmament or a heaven in the midst of the waters, and let the, it divide the water from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, or the heaven, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and so it was so. 
And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. And so what we have happening there is, a, is something that was kind of amazing. Here we have the, the world and God says it's all water, but what we want to do is separate water from water. And we're going to separate it with an expanse. And so he separated like this and there was water around the globe, all the way around like a, a huge... Uh, force field all the way around the earth and then there was the water on the face of the earth and then he separated the water from the dry land so there became sea and land underneath it but we have this incredible sheath of water all the way around the earth at the early part now we know that in the bible it tells us that they lived to 900 years before the flood you know, it was nothing for, you, you died as an infant if you died under 100. You know, they were living, the, the oldest person who lived was Methuselah. He lived how many years? 969 years and then he died. And people say, oh, this is myth and legend, because, but it's not, you know. The Bible says exactly how it happened. It says the water was divided and there was this protective the gamma rays couldn't get through. It was like a hot house in here. Growth, plants, everything grew larger and bigger underneath. And all the, the ultraviolet rays and the X-rays and the gamma rays that really causes harm were blocked out. We had this protective place in which we lived until the flood. And the Bible says that the waters from the deep came down and the waters from underneath, the, uh, the waters from above came down and the waters from the deep came up and flooded the whole earth and destroyed life. And we have... Geographical and geological proof that that actually took place. So we know that that's happened. So the heavens then are this expanse above. This is called the first heaven. In this first heaven, the Bible tells us that there's a whole lot of um, spiritual forces going on there. There's a battle going on in the first heaven. The Bible says that the angel... The devil and his angels are inhabiting that area and they're warring and fighting amongst the, 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 the good angels. So there's two-thirds good angels, one-third bad angels. We got that. And it says in, in Daniel, um, in Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 to 21, and I'm going to read it to you because the angel comes to Daniel and he says, you know, you know you, the day that you prayed, he says, I heard you. And this is what he says. Then he said, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I came because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of the Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, that means he, he fought against Gabriel. The prince of Persia fought against Gabriel and stopped him from getting the answer through to uh, Daniel. And Michael came along, one of the chief princes came to help me, and, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. And verse 14 says, Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the later days, for the vision refers to many days, not hence. And we're told there that, that uh, Daniel felt really weak and that the, that the angel strengthened him and gave him strength again. And then he told him that he had to go back now and had to fight with the king of Persia. And there was actually a prince of peace, a prince of Greece that was coming to fight as well. So we're told or gave an insight into a realm in this, in this first heaven, which is the, um, the area of air before you reach space. So we know that there are seven i suppose layers of our stratosphere if you um if you 
if you go back, if I, the, the, the troposphere is the area that's about four to five miles from the earth out. You know, at, at the poles is about four to five miles and at the, at the equator it's about 15 miles out. That's called the troposphere. That's where the birds fly. And then the clouds are in there to a degree. You've got the stratosphere, which goes 30 miles out. You've got the mesosphere and the thermosphere. In the thermosphere around the world, the, the, the temperature in the thermosphere is 1,832 degrees. You wouldn't think that, would you? But the thermosphere has a temperature of 1,832 degrees. That's what they have to go through in space. That's why I put their shield out there because there's that much friction at that point. It's so hot at that point. This is the layer around the Earth. Then we've got the exosphere. So the thermosphere goes 240 miles out. That's how from the Earth, if you go out 240 miles, that's the thermosphere. That's part of our first heaven. The exosphere, the ionosphere, and the magnetosphere, that's all part of those, the first heaven. This is the realm in which we're getting all this activity. It's metaphorically referred to as the windows of heaven. So it's the beginning. Something that we see, they call it the pillars of heaven or the foundations of heaven. And Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend heaven or rent or rip heaven open and that you would come through. So it's like Isaiah sees it like a garment around the earth. He says that can be ripped open. It's interesting to see that. So that's the first heaven. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, it says, And you were made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now works in the sons of disobedience. So every one of us has some interaction with the spirit of this world. The Bible tells us that it's there, and we sometimes wonder where that stuff comes from that drops on our shoulder and then speaks into our ear that tells us all the wrong things and gives us all the bad advice. You say, well, what's that? The Bible tells us very clearly that it's the prince of this world, the devil, one of his mates, one of his hairy mates, a demon, that's come and they're in this area. You say, how come there's so much bad stuff happening in the world today? Well, there's so many demons running around inspiring stuff. And it's not that the devil made you do it, but he's suggesting to you and you're making wrong choices and that's where we, we get this thing happening. The Bible tells us also in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, the God of this age, and it's not talking about God, he's talking about the devil, it says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And you might, you might be sitting here today and you're saying, you know, I don't really get any of this. This is all really strange for me. I mean, I don't get God. I don't understand what that's about. I don't understand anything. I mean, I, I'm just really caught with the here and now. I, I don't even think that I believe in a spiritual world. And then I can talk and I can keep on talking and it will just go like this. So it's like your eyes can't see it. It's like nothing inside of you can register it. And the Bible says that sort of blindness, that blindness that comes in your life is actually inspired by the God of this age who doesn't want you to see it. 
The Bible says the devil actually keeps you hold and tries to take your spiritual eyes out so that you can't see it, so that you are taken away from it, so that he can destroy you in your sin. So we are dealing with spiritual forces here. Oh, you live in the West where everything's material, I know. But some of you come from Africa where everything is spiritual. We, 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 we live in the West and our West, to a great extent, has denied any spiritual thing at all to the great extent. It's like it just doesn't matter. It's like, you know, it's just cause and effect. You know, whatever you do, that's what happens. And there's no spiritual, you know, we all come from monkeys and that's the way it is. That's what we're told. That's how, how we, we, God has not given a, a voice to say anything. And yet God does speak. He speaks every day. Everything that we see in, from creation tells us that there is a God. We are beautifully and wonderfully made and something within us looks at us and says, how can that evolve? You know, my, as, much as, as much as my watch can't evolve from pieces of metal, I can't evolve from atoms. It just doesn't work that way. My watch tells me there's a watchmaker. How is something actually more complex than that an evidence of nothing? It becomes stupid then, doesn't it? Irrational. But the devil's at work blinding people so that they don't see what God has done. So the second heaven. So if the first heaven is to the end of our exosphere, then the second heaven starts as we go into stellar, into space. It starts with the moons and the stars and the planets and the galaxies and the extent of the physical universe as we know it. That's called the second heaven. So it has to do with everything that's out there in the expanding universe as we know it. The Hubble telescope is showing us more and more of it. That's a photograph of some of the stuff there. So you say, that's amazing, isn't it? All that out there is space. We can't see it, but you go out there and it's all out there and it just keeps on going and going and going. And Jeremiah says this word. He says, this is what the Lord says. If I have not made my covenant with day and night and established the laws of heaven and earth, and then he goes on to say, would I have not done such and such and such and such? So he's making a statement that says, I'm God and I establish the laws of heaven. And that's one of the things that our scientists have never been able to come to grips with. They say, yes, there was a big bang, boof, and everything flew out into space. Yes, there was some point by which everything that we know started. Well, we've always said that there was a point from everywhere something started. But they say, well, the expanding universe has to be, if you contracted it, it had to start from somewhere. So their idea is started from a big bang. You know, well, God's, when he spoke, it must have been kind of a big bang, hey? Spoke it into being and there it was. But the thing that they don't understand, the last time I blew up a can of baked beans, it didn't come out spinning in orbit. It didn't come out with laws of dynamics controlling everything and holding everything. It came out and made a huge mess of disorder and chaos. Anything that exploded, exploded into absolute chaos and it was a mess everywhere. But when God speaks, it speaks in order because he's a God of order. There's no confusion in God. And so when they look out at this expanding universe and they see it, what they don't understand is the laws of physical, where they came from. They don't understand the laws of chemistry and how they hold it, planetary laws of motion, the laws of mathematics. To understand this, they, they have to put their heads around the laws of logic. And they don't understand where those laws come from. They say, we're thinking about it, but we don't know how we got to start thinking. We're looking at it and it's spinning in space and there we can do the maths and we can work out exactly where it's going to be in 10 years' time and we can take 
But we don't know why, where those laws came from and who is the law giver. We have not an idea. The thing that they said is it just happened by chance. And where did it come from by chance? Because nothing just comes out of nothing. It never, that's the first law of thermodynamics that you can get something out of nothing. Amazing, isn't it? God put the heavens there as a sign. He's bigger than the heavens. How big is our God? Bigger. You just think God in terms of material. But if you think in terms of everywhere at the one time, it's different to what you're even thinking. The, The way you try and process God or try and put God in a box, you think that you can contain God with a mind that God actually made. Can a box contain the whole of the world, it contains a space on which it has a parameter. But the whole of the world doesn't cease to exist because it's outside the box. Your mind can only grasp this much. God who created your mind is outside of your mind. Don't think that you can grasp him with your mind. It'll just pop. It'll pop before you get too close. You can't understand God in the way you think. You understand him from your spirit. And from your heart, you experience him. But your mind, it is unfruitful when it comes to God because you can't create a God that's big enough to put in there. He's bigger than your mind. Let's talk about the the third heaven. This is where God lives. In the beginning, you laid the foundations that said in Psalm 102, verse 25, the foundations of earth and the heavens are the works of your hand, the heavens, plural, the works of your hand. So God has a habitation. He lives someplace. God lives in the third heaven, it says in Psalm 103, verse 19, and the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And Isaiah says this, and and Lucifer gives us a bit of an idea. Remember, we, we talked about Lucifer a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Lucifer and how he fell. This is where we get the devil from. He's the archangel Lucifer. And remember he said, this is what he said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. Now that's what he said. So he's referring to where God is sitting on his throne. He says, I will ascend into heaven. So where we're looking at where God lives, as in the third heaven, is outside of our universe, our expanding universe. Don't think we'll never get there because God can, can come from there to here in a minute like that. It's like you, you don't understand that sort of travel. Uh, you die, you're immediately in the presence of the Lord. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. You don't have to start time traveling, you know, or the, you know, traveling through the stars, you know, up through the stars, you know, past Jupiter, you know, where are you going? Up to heaven, off we go, you know, 500 years, million years later, well, we're nearly there. No, it doesn't. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. So in God, he can just go, bump, bump, like that. Quantum physics says it's possible, but they just don't know how to do it. The more we learn, the more we find out how God smart is. We find out how smart God really is. We just discover that God knows everything. Anyway, he says, I will ascend to heaven. So it's up. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. So here you have the stars 
in the universe, and the throne of God is above the stars. It's somewhere else. And I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses, it says, of the north. The recesses of the north. Turn around to the person and say, look to the north. That's what, okay. They did. They looked to the north. They looked to the north to see what they could see in the north. And guess what they found in the northern skies? They found this. This is where you find it in the science magazine. I I went too far. This is the science magazine. It's Mitchell Waldrop, Delving the Hole in Space, Science Magazine, November 27, 1981. This is what he has written there. The universe has a huge hole in it that dwarfs anything else of its kind. The discovery caught astronomers by surprise. The hole is nearly a billion light years across. It is not a black hole which is a small sphere of densely packed matter. Rather, this one is mostly devoid of stars, gas and other normal matter. It's, only, it's also strangely empty of the mysterious dark matter that permeates the cosmos. Other space voids have been found, but nothing to this scale. So they say there's a hole in the universe as, they, as we know it, a space in the north that's got nothing in it. In Job it says this, He stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. Now, Job is one of the oldest books of the Bible. And in Job it says, He hangs the earth on nothing. Before they even discovered that, you know, God is speaking to Job and says, you know, the, the earth hangs in its orbit on nothing and it stretches out from empty space in the north. And where did Satan want to set his throne up? In the recesses of the north above the stars where God's throne is. So somewhere in the north, that's where we're told the third heaven is. Now, Jesus said when he was going, and he came here and he was talking to his disciples. He knew that in a little while he was going to be killed. He was going to be crucified, and then he was going to be going and leaving them. And he he was concerned about them, and and he wanted to comfort them. So he gives them these words in John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not... Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a... Uh, uh, sorry. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I am going to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So he's gone to prepare a place. This is Jesus. Jesus, the creator of the universe. Jesus, the creator of the world. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It tells us that Jesus was the word of God. And John says in 1 John, he says, the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us and it was the word of God that created all things. So he's now gone and he started creating again. Creating a home for us. That, that home's called heaven. And he's going to tell us about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, Paul 
has has an experience where he's taken to the third heaven. He says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. So he says, caught up to the third heaven. So however that was that he traveled there, he... He immediately was there in the third heaven where God was. He says, and I, he says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. He says, I don't know whether I was actually in my flesh there or whether I was in my spirit there. He says, all I know, I was there. He says, God knows how I was there, whether I was physically there or spiritually there, but I was there in the, in the third heaven, in this other sphere. And I, and I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one was permitted to tell. So he said when he got there, it was paradise. He says it was amazing. And he said he heard things that he wasn't allowed to tell when he came back. It was just amazing. He says that this experience that he had by going to the third heaven actually disassociated himself from earth. He, he, he says this in, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And how many would have you said here, you know, I wish I was dead. It would be better to be dead because it is much better to be dead than it is to be alive. Well, nobody in their right mind really would wish to die. If you think about it, if you've seen something on the other side that's a whole lot better, you might wish to die. But otherwise, you're hanging on to life because life is what you have. Well, it's what you think you have. And death, you know, well, you don't really know too much about, you know, in our society, there's an axiom that says something, there's no proof of, the, of life after death. Uh, so people say, you know, just let's have it, enjoy life as we've got to eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But he'd seen something. He'd seen something so great. He says, for me to die is gain. I'm looking forward to dying. He says, um, but if I have to live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from, from my labor. Yet I, I shall choose, I, I, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, I, I don't, I can't, I'm stuck. I don't know what to choose. I don't, I, he says, I would rather die than stay here with you. For I'm hard pressed between two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So, well, I'll make a decision to stay here because you need me to be here. But if I had my call, he says, I would rather go because I've seen what's coming. And he says, you wouldn't want to mess around and stay here. You would rather go and be with God because it's so great. He said in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, he says, don't lose heart there, though outwardly, we are wasting away there. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and our momentary troubles. And he says, look, everything in this life is just light and momentary. It's only just for a little time. He says, he's, he's eternal for us an eternal glory that is far outweighs it all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. He had his eyes fixed on something outside of himself. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9, he says, However it is written, what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what no human mind can, has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. Which tells me something. The things that he saw when he went to the third heaven 
God has revealed by his spirit to us. So we should be able to find what they are in the word of God. And actually we can. So let's have a look at this little DVD snip. And then we'll read what the word of God says about what's coming. It's not what you think. Most people typically think of heaven in one or two ways. Either it's a place with a bunch of angels with wings playing hearts and an old guy with a white beard, where they're all hanging out on a bunch of clouds, or it's a place where everyone's worshiping Jesus 24-7, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. But these people have an inner fear they'll eventually get bored with worshiping Jesus for a billion years. Well, when you really dig deep, you'll find that neither of these portrayals are what the Bible actually says about heaven, nor are they what the earliest Christians believed. The Bible says heaven will eventually be on a renewed earth. Yeah, you heard that right. A renewed or recreated earth as part of the new heavens, new earth terminology used throughout Scripture. So this renewed and redeemed universe will occur when Jesus returns to make all things new and permanently removes the stain of sin which corrupted his originally good creation. Most scholars believe heaven on this new earth will have a great capital city with billions, art, music, and lots of people fellowshipping and engaging in productive activities, as we'll be able to use the skills we acquired during our lives on earth, and even our new skills in heaven. The new earth will be a beautifully renewed and redeemed earth, completely healed from its brokenness and decay. It will have trees, rivers, and mountains. And of course, there will be no more sorrow, crying, mourning, pain, sin, or death. But only perfect peace, beauty, love, wholeness, and a permanent sense of complete fulfillment and joy. But before I go any further, I need to clarify something. The heaven we would go to if we died right now is not the permanent heaven on the new earth where we will live forever. The intermediate heaven is where we are immediately present with Christ when we die, but eventually we will be a part of the permanent heaven when we receive our resurrected and imperishable bodies and live on the new earth in our new bodies. And that will be when Jesus returns to the earth to make all things new. See, the word heaven is by definition a place where God lives on his throne. So the Bible tells us that this ultimate heaven will be the place where the dwelling place of God comes down out of heaven and onto a renewed earth. Even Christ's name as Emmanuel is symbolic here, as it means God with us. He's not going to snatch us away from his creation, which he originally said was good, but he will actually finish the redemption process and renew and redeem his good creation back to the way it was always supposed to be before sin corrupted. So, if we were to die right now, it is true we will go to heaven and be with Christ in a spiritual place without suffering. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. But that heaven is not where we will live forever. That intermediate heaven is not purgatory either, which is a false doctrine. But think of it as a place of waiting. A waiting for Jesus to return to his creation and all things new. But during this waiting period, many scholars believe time itself will probably seem to fly by as we wait for Jesus to return. So just like Jesus was buried in a tomb, but was quickly resurrected on the third day, we too will eventually be resurrected in new bodies to live on the new earth in the permanent heaven when Jesus returns to make all things new. Wow.
Looking forward to that? You know, it's so far-fetched, isn't it? You sit here and you think, you'd have to be crazy to believe that. Well, what else would you want to believe? You see, Jesus, when he, when he came, prophesied all the things that were going to take place in this world. We have a G2, G20 meeting in the city today. The one world order getting together. All this stuff was prophesied in the scripture. Everything that Jesus was doing and was going to come and do was prophesied in the Old Testament. And everything in the New Testament is prophesied about his, the end times. It's happening in the newspapers today. It's all happening. These things are taking place in the world in which we live. The cashless society with the mark of the beast, the mark in your wrist and the mark in your forehead. It's it's right there now. The chips have been made. It's all there. It's all happening. Just like the Bible says in the book of Revelation, which is also telling us about heaven. You see, we look at what's taken place and how the Bible spoke so clearly about it. We see it all fulfilled now. So it doesn't take us much faith at all to believe that the rest of it's going to be fulfilled as well. We just look and say, it was right here, it was right here, it was right here, and it was right here. So why is this last bit not right? If this is all right and it all came to pass, if in Psalms it prophesied that Jesus was coming, if Isaiah said a virgin should give birth to a child, if they said it was going to crucify him, if they said they were going to do this to him, and it all happened in Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled all of that, if he rose from the dead like he said he did, and then he, he's gone away and he says this is what's going to take place in the world in the last days, it's going to be, in, and it all taken place, why then when he tells us about heaven do we say, I can't believe it? Everything else he said happened. So I can believe that he's coming again. The Bible says he's coming again. I can believe that he's prepared a place for me. I can believe that. And it's not my head that grasps that. It's eternity in my heart that grasps that. I know it's true because I know from in here. You take God away and you're hopeless. You are lost in your sin. You have nothing to live for. You can kill me and it doesn't matter. I'm going to a better place. Jesus is in me. He confirms it. Now I'm going to ask Liz to read the passage in, in Revelation. It's quite a long passage and you can turn to it if you like. It's in Revelation chapter 21. Verses 1 to 22 to 5. And it describes the new heavens and the earth. New earth. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. 
He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the adulterers and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp." The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month 
and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not need a lamp of a light or of the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. What a beautiful picture. Pops your mind, doesn't it? One of the things that will probably have registered with some of you is that nothing impure will enter there. I look at myself and I think, wow. If I was left standing there before God, by myself, that place is not for me. Because if I was left standing by myself, I'd be impure. Because we've stuffed our lives up. We're all broken. It says, they look to see if their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. If your name was written in the Lamb's book of life, then you can go there. The Lamb's book of life. What is that? It's the book where our name is written when we say, Jesus, I believe that you died and you were punished for my sin. That you died for my sin in my place. That my bad, evil behavior was punished by a holy God and put to death in you and then put into the grave. I believe that you died in my place. And then when you rose again, I believe you rose again from the dead so that I could have a new life. So getting a lamb, book in the Lamb's Book of Life is an essential part of getting to heaven. Asking Jesus to take away the sin of your life and having him put his cloak of rightness around you. So when he comes to you, he says, come here. You want to believe in me? Then I'm going to put my cloak and make you look right so that when you stand before God, all he sees is Jesus in your life. Don't see you. Doesn't see all the things you did. They've all been forgiven. Like you, you, owed, you, paid, you owed the bill, but Jesus paid the bill for you. And so when you stand before God, he says you're clean. It's only being clean like that that can eat you into this beautiful place called heaven. I want to go to heaven, don't you? You can't get to heaven by saying, I did it my way, God. I mean, I, I tried my best. Can you put me in a set of scales? You won't get there. There's no set of scales. You have to have clothed yourself with Jesus. You have to have your name in the Lamb's book of life. So those who don't have any confidence that that's where you're going to go, you need to think about that and say, you know, Jesus has given you an opportunity right now today Get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You might not have any hope. It might be seem far-fetched to you, but you know what? Something inside of you calls out for this because God put eternity in their hearts. You can feel the drawing of God's Holy Spirit saying, come to me, come to me. You don't have to live with hopelessness in your life. You don't have to live with no hope. You can have hope and you can have eternity in you. Come to me now. 
And I want you to listen to that. If that's you, I want you to listen to that. God is calling you today to be coming to him and to getting rid of the burden of the guilt of the things that are inside of you, the bustedness that you're feeling and you're carrying all your life. He wants to lift that off you and take it away so that you can have this hope of eternal life within you. And for those who are here, who are believers, I want to read a scripture for you. He says, join together in following my example, says Paul, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he goes on and says, their destiny is destruction, their God is in their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And then he says these words, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Friend, if your mind is stuck on earthly things, if your stomach is the thing that you are working for, you, you, everything is about what you can consume in life and the here and now, you're an enemy to the cross. And Paul says you're not ready for what's coming. You're not ready for what's coming that Jesus has prepared for you. He says, as believers, he says, you've got to remember that you're already a citizen of heaven. You belong to heaven. Your name is in heaven. You're not an Australian. You're not an African. You're not a Filipino. You're not a Kiwi. You're not South African. You're not Indonesian, not English. You're a heavenlander. You're a heavenlander. You belong to heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. This is just temporal. What is longer lasting and more permanent is coming. Lift up your eyes. Shake off the here and the now. Get your focus on what it should be on. You're a citizen of heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask, oh God, that you help us today to live for you, to remember that you have placed eternity in our hearts, Father, and that heaven is coming. Lord, that you are there, Lord, in your glory and in your splendor, and everything is prepared, Lord Jesus, ready for you to come again, Father. Help us to live in expectation of your soon return. Help us to walk in a life today, Lord Jesus, without the worry of what's happening around us, Father, just to know that you have everything in control and you're going to work it all out, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for those here here today who don't know you, Father, who don't have a confident expectation that, Lord, there is a life that is good after death, Lord Jesus. I pray for them right now, Lord Jesus, that you would touch them, Lord Jesus, that you would Talk to them, Lord Jesus, that you would speak into their hearts, O God, that you would draw them to yourself, O God, by your Holy Spirit, that you'd help them to come to a a first-hand knowledge of you, Jesus, that you would free them from their sin and the bondage that's around their lives, Father, and that you would set them free, Lord Jesus, to live for you from now on forever. We ask it in Jesus' name. As you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, 
You haven't ever asked Jesus to come into your life, but you somehow there's a strange drawing inside you. You know that there's hopelessness in the world, but you want the hope that Jesus is giving. I want you to raise your hand if you want to ask Jesus to come into your life to rid you of this terrible guilt that you're, that you're handling and, and that you want to come to him and, and have this sense of new life. Just raise your hand if that's what's happening in your spirit now. Okay, I see your hand. I see your hand. Yeah, I see your hand. All right. I'm going to pray for those who've just raised their hands. I want you to, if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Okay, just pray it with your lips. Pray it with your voice. And if you're a believer, you might want to pray this as long just to encourage them as well. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I am sorry for the things that I have done wrong. You know them, every one of them, and I know them as well. I thank you for dying in my place, for taking my sin upon yourself and for forgiving me of my sin. Jesus, give me new life. Fill me with your spirit. Cleanse me from my sin. Free me from the guilt. I want to live with you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to come. If you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to come and see me. And I want to talk to you, okay? So let's stand up, shall we? And ask God's blessing upon this fellowship in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask that you would bless this congregation, that your spirit would go with them, that your grace would be upon them, that you'd give them wisdom and peace in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless.